Okay, everyone. Welcome to another exhilarating episode of Not So Common Sense. So, this episode is going to deal with the police. And you can use this as research for why we need to have police reform. So, in this video I have with you that you guys are going to listen into, you guys are going to hear of a black man, of course, he's black, and his ordeal. So, in this situation, this black man has been arrested. He's coming from work. Like most people do, they go to, they come from work and they're more likely taking like a subway or maybe even, you know, a bus ride, things like that. And they're walking home at night, which is not illegal. Definitely not illegal if you're black. You can walk home from work at night if you're black. He's walking home from work. And the police arrest him. Now, unbeknownst to him, the reason why is because a burglary happened in that area. No, 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 no. I know first thing you're thinking is, okay, burglary happened in this area. More likely they are looking for a individual that matches his description. No, the police are looking for an individual that matches his description. Oh, yes, definitely. The police are looking for that. But is that the actual, you know, suspect? No. As you'll find out, the suspect that they should be looking for is a white man with a buzz cut. Right? So you had this incident happening. Where the police just find a random black guy and say, well, let's arrest him. We're good. Because of prejudices. Right? Now, this is an example of why that should happen. Why we need to have police reform. Because this black guy, he spent three nights in jail right and it took him nine months almost a whole damn year just to clear his name and we don't even know the untold amount of legal fees he had to deal with in order to do so and this was just thrust on him while coming from work So, yes, this is something that's going to be used as a good example of police biases and prejudices when it comes to individuals and how they just don't care. You can give them a description of a whole complete different individual and they just find the first black guy they look for. So, for the people like Charlie Kirk who try to say that, well, black people commit the most crime, actually, they don't. It's white people, of course majority anyway so common sense would say that white people commit the most crime because 
you know, the majority of the population. Seriously, just think about that. Black people aren't even close to that, but make up half of the people arrested. Yeah. Just think about that craziness. So anyway, let's get to the uh, video and let you guys listen in. You did it. What am I wondering? What do I have to ask about some dangerous? What kind of guy you are? Whether, whether this is you're like a serial burglar and this is what you're doing all the time, or whether this is a, a one-off thing because of the power cut and everything that's going on tonight. On August 14th, 2003, in Hamilton, Ontario, a call came in to 911 around midnight telling the police that a white man with a buzz cut was breaking into a jewelry store near the bus station. As you can hear, let you, I'm going to let you guys hear it again, as I always do, because learning about things, you got to hear it and repeat it and have it be repeated multiple times so you can understand Ontario. A call came in to 911 around midnight telling the police that a white man with a buzz cut was breaking into a jewelry store near the bus station. So, you hear the description of the suspect. A witness has seen what's going on. And they are identifying one major, one major description of the individual. He's a white man with a buzz cut. Right? Here again. A call came in to 911 around midnight telling the police that a white man with a buzz cut was breaking into a jewelry store near the bus station. A white man with a buzz cut. So, what type of descriptions would you immediately take in your mind as an officer and eliminate? Well, you eliminate any type of Asian people, right? Latino people, right? They're not white. Right? Not white. You're eliminating every ethnicity but white. Because you gotta be white. Alright? You got a white man, you're on the right damn train. Right? Next, it's a hairstyle. Now, this is very important. Because the hairstyle also is a key feature. So you're not going to get a white man with a bunch of dreadlocks or afro, right? Because we know what a buzz cut look like. We're not looking for afro. We're not looking for dreadlocks. Long flowing hair to the back. Right? We know the ethnicities and the hairstyle that is outlawed. Can't touch those people. 
So, we know that going in. These are the type of people we're looking for. Right? White buzz cut. These are the people we're not looking for. We're not looking for bald head. We're not looking for dreadlocks. We're not looking for afros. Right? <laughs> we're not looking for afros. We're not looking for people with a lot of hair on their head. Or no hair. We're looking for a buzz cut. Right? So, they had to have a little bit of hair on their head. And it has to be white. Can't be Latino, can't be Asian, can't be black. Right? So, let's keep going. However, an hour later, the police had instead arrested Michael Dixon, a black man who claimed to have just got... Now, explain what Michael Dixon looks like. Michael Dixon is your basic, you know, school principal type of man. Bald head, you know what I'm talking about. Bald head, and got... You know, a little bit of hair on the chin, you know, that that beard going on. Got a little gray in it, too, because they always got to. Right? And he black. So, what's the thing that stands out? Black and bald. You looking for a white and buzz cut. Why the police go grab black and bald when the witness said that the suspect was white and buzz cut? Again, white and buzz cut, not black and bald. The suspect was white with a buzz cut and they grabbed a black man that's bald. Again, you can see where the problem's coming in, right? So they just grabbed a random black man off the street. Because he doesn't match anywhere near close to the description. Nowhere near close. Nowhere near close. You are so far out the ballpark. Man, where are you going? You're in the Sahara Desert. What's going on? Only thing that describe this is literal, actual racism. There's nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. You can't come up with any other explanation why this black man was picked up. Really, you can't. You can't. What explanation could you get as a police officer that was explained to me why you picked up this black man who's bald headed when the description of the assailant of the, suspect, of the suspect is white and buzz cut. Do you not know what a buzz cut is? Let me tell you, it's not bald. Do you not know what white people are? Look at yourself. Can't you see in the mirror? That's the skin tone you're looking for. So, you know what a buzz cut is? Look it up on your phone. 
had the opportunity to do it. Uh, it was definitely in a time period. You can easily do it on Google. 2000 period. You can do it. <laughs> Why are you going after a black man? When you know, look at your skin tone, look at the buzz cut. I'm looking for somebody that matches that. Not somebody who's completely opposite of you. It's because why? They always know they can go after a black man because most black people don't have the financial acumen to pay for a very lengthy trial and a bunch of legal fees. So they normally can get away with just grabbing the nearest black man and throwing him in jail. You're 1350, by the way. Yeah, you're 1350. That's the reason that's how you get it. A lot of the part of the 1350 is just police grabbing random black people. You know, suspect be damned. We can find something we can stick on them. Off the bus. He was brought in for questioning, and despite the contrary witness accounts, the cops were adamant that he was the burglar the police were searching for. Mm -hmm. Whether he did it wise and out of the discussion. Okay, well, um, it's reading off. This is what happens when the police try to force the suspect into a false confession. Yep, and you're starting to hear now. But then they're going to go into it. This is they call the read technique. Read. R-E-I-D. Read. Like Andy Reed for those people who play football. Not the Ed Reed for people who play football. So, it's a name. Just in case you guys need to know. Because I want to make sure that you understand the difference and understand the techniques that's going on. Yes. They're going to talk about the actual way they do things. Oh, yeah. Of course. Because why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they tell you exactly how... This, this is how this stuff is done. By the way, still legal, by the way. Basically, I'll tell you now what the read technique is. The read technique is basically the police have a literal ability to blatantly and habitually just straight up lie. Right? So you understand that. They can just, with reckless abandonment, just completely an early lie. You can be at work at the time when when the incident happened, and they can say, "No, we know we have all the evidence of you. You committed the crime. We are charging you with the crime." So, basically, how this goes? Let's say you at work, one hundred percent during the time period. And on, on the cameras, right? I'll use myself as an example. Make up a good, uh, good, uh, good thing. Say that, you know, I'm at work. I work for the Baltimore County Public School System, right? And literally soon as I get off of work, they pull me over arrest me and take me down to the precinct. Let's say they trying to charge me for a murder that happened. A murder that happened a good 
hour drive away and it happened around like let's say two uh, let's say about one o'clock so that means I had to have been the only way for me to commit the crime is if I literally drove an hour away and committed the crime so at 12 o'clock I had to commit the crime I had to go to drive over there to commit the crime right and they arrest me and they say we have all the evidence everything we have our witnesses we have your fingerprint we have your DNA we have your picture we have everything there we already have you on camera on confession doing it just say you committed the crime We have all the evidence right now. You can get less time in jail and maybe some leniency if you confess. Right? But wait. Here's the problem. You said the damn uh, murder was committed at 1 o'clock. Trey was still at work when when it happened. But you just look for a random black man you can toss this stuff on and you arrest me. Right? Trey can prove, because I had none of that. I have a bunch of eyewitnesses. Um, I can guarantee a school has about 800 students. And we're not even talking about the faculty and staff. So over a thousand witnesses that can say, yeah, they saw Trey. And I got cameras in the building being there. When the incident happened, there's an hour drive away. I didn't leave the building until school was out at 3 o'clock. So you say you got my DNA. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> you say you got me on camera. I don't know how you did that. I don't have a twin. So you don't have my DNA. You're just straight up lying. Right? Right? But it can straight up lie. 100%. To try to get you to confess. And that's what's going on right now. With this black man. He was 100% obviously at work. And he can easily tell you where he came from, where he was going, and everything. But let's listen in. Let's rewind the tape a little bit. It is almost 3 a.m., and Michael Dixon is just now set to face his interrogator. As you can see from Michael's demeanor, he is very calm. He is confident in his innocence and probably considers this an irritating inconvenience. So, 3 a.m., and yes, police decide to do this stuff on purpose, by the way, for the timing. They normally get a guy for the police who probably don't even know what's going on until they was told what's going on. Who's coming in, they just started their shift. They well rested, right? And they hold you into the cell late at night so they can try to wear you out, right? So you can get more of a confession out of you. 
That's how they beat a confession out of you without physically beating the confession out of you. Just pay attention to that. He hopes to be back home very soon. However, his mood will shift as soon as Detective Leak enters the room. You're in charge with... The detective reads Michael his rights. You have the right to telephone in private any way that you wish. You have the right to free advice in private from a legal aid lawyer. If you are charged with an offense, you may apply to the Ontario Legal Aid Plan for legal assistance. It's kind of out of sequence because you've already had that legal conversation. So I have to give you this right, okay. and it's best that I give it to you while it's all recorded. The most critical one, which is access to a lawyer. Do you wish to call a lawyer right now? Again, you already have. You know, you've spoken to a lawyer before. I was about to say, because you already spoken to a lawyer immediately. You see, this type, this is the type of thing, as a black man, we have to do every time. We have to be... We had to understand and know what's going on. Well, before the police even tell you, you have to be a hundred steps to hear the police every time or you go to jail. No joke. Because this man is 100% innocent in every fathom of the way. There's not a person that can say this man deserves to be in jail unless you're a racist, bigoted person. He's coming from work. He has no type, no type of connection whatsoever towards the break-in. The police are just trying to pin it on him because they need to find a person they can easily pin it on. And they know, always, all police know, black, white, Hispanic, whatever, all of them know black people don't always have the type of access to legal counsel that whites have. So we want a quick, easy, open and shut case for them. Only thing they need to do is charge you, put you in, in jail, and that's all they need to do. They don't need to find you if you're found guilty or not. Being found guilty or not is not the... It's not... They don't care about that. It's not the job of the police. The job of the police is to charge you and get you arrested. Right? That's it. They're, the case is closed once they arrest somebody and actually have them in jail. After that, you wait in trial and be found guilty or not, that's not their that's not their thing. They don't care. The case is done. The case get open. As soon as you get behind bars to wait trial, they're, they're good. The case is closed to them. So that's why they try to grab a lot of black people because they know black people normally can't you know, defend themselves in court. And they can normally, they normally think that, well, black people have done something to commit a crime. We can just find something else later as well. Because yes, you can do that nowadays too. Police can also, you know, charge you after the incident, after you're already arrested. Because the Supreme Court allows them to do so. So they can arrest you not tell you the reason why you're arrested, put you behind bars, even have you being awaited for trial while they scheme up a way to say, all right, so this is the reason why we arrested you. 
So they will go through your file, see if you committed any crimes, right? This is exactly what they can do. Like they say, if you just walk in the street one day, like I said with me, I'm coming home from work, they can arrest you, throw you in the back of the paddy wagon, don't even tell you the reason why they arrest you. Don't read your Miranda rights at all, period. Just arrest you, throw you in the back of there, you know, beat up on you, interrogate you. And while they doing that, they're trying to figure out, how can we spin this? They can do it. They don't have to, it doesn't even have to be that same day. It could be that same month. It could be that same year, right? You be in jail for a whole year. Don't even have been told why he was arrested. They can just... Whenever they finally decide to say, oh, this is the reason why he was arrested, now they can literally say, oh, so that's why we arrested you. Oh, remember that year ago? Wait, I was in jail for a whole year, and now you're telling me you arrested me because of a broken taillight that I didn't even have at the time period. I had that year, but not that time period. That thing was fixed already. But yeah, we arrested you for that. He spent a whole year in jail and he ruined your whole life. Yep. Just telling you type of things that can happen now. But let's let the video continue. Michael has already called a lawyer. A smart move when faced with a situation like this one. And you're charged with break and enter. Do you wish to say anything in answer to the charge? You are not obliged to say anything unless you wish to do so. But whatever you do say may be given in evidence. Well, that's fine, because what I have to say is I'm my innocence of the man. Michael starts to explain his story, but the detective cuts him off while addressing him in a confrontational tone. But uh, I'm just curious to know like how it got this far, because as I said to you earlier in the room, the police officers that were stopped me on the street said that they have witnesses. Uh, you, know, you, you already talked to me about the events in the other room. Oh, right. I told you that uh, that wasn't the right time no, place to good. discuss it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one other thing I can tell you before we discuss this, okay? okay? Why we're here is because earlier tonight you were arrested for breaking out of the store on Drum Street South. Now, the, your innocence and guilt in this, quite frankly, uh, isn't an issue. Uh, the evidence I have is, quite frankly, conclusive and overwhelming. You see, told you, conclusive and overwhelming. No, you don't. You don't have shit. You bluff. Like you don't have shit. I know what this is. This is reading. You don't have nothing. <laughs> I know what it is. This is reading. You have nothing. That's why if you know that you're innocent and you know that you know that you're innocent, then yeah. Right? Situation I was in, I knew I was, you know, I was riding without insurance. <laughs> I was fucked. But they would have told me that, you know, I committed a murder somewhere. <laughs> oh, honey boy. Like, oh boy. <laughs> You said what there? Oh, I committed a murder over in where? Uh, uh, Rockville, Maryland. Uh, <laughs> this is Ricetown, Maryland. Uh, what time was he say it was? Well, one o'clock. <laughs> I gotta get a lawyer, and I'm gonna sue you personally. <laughs> I'm get a lawyer, and I'm suing you personally as well. So I need your name. I need your name and badge number because I'm suing you personally. 
Because that's a lie. Right? That type of thing? Yeah. You can easily do that. Right? Need to wake up anyway. It's almost 8 o'clock. Need to wash up so we can go get the car. The detective has just lied about the existence of conclusive evidence. evidence. In truth, the evidence is far from incriminating Michael. If anything, whatever evidence there was would rule him out, out. as a suspect. What you are- Of course, it rules him out. We don't forget, at the beginning, the suspect was a white man with a buzz cut. Remember, that's why I repeated multiple times. White man with a buzz cut. The witness said white man with a buzz cut. The person who called 911, the actual key witness, because that's the person you want to grab on that phone. You want they all gonna matter of fact, they're not gonna say, oh, they have already grabbed that person as a witness. You had to. You'd be a retard not to. That person said the individual who was breaking in to that jewelry store was a white man with a buzz cut. Man, I'm black and bald. You know, I think you're kind of out of the ballpark there. Nowhere near. So, if you got evidence, unless you can say I am somehow can change my skin tone to white and then, then I somehow had a buzz cut, <laughs> you don't have nothing on me. Witnessing here is the application of the infamous read technique of interrogation. The goal of this method is to get a confession out of the suspect, often by manipulating facts and lying about the evidence. So, they put it up on screen so I can definitely be able to read it to you. The read technique is a police interrogation method developed to extract confession or incriminating information from suspect through a structured confrontational questioning process, emphasizing psychological tactics and nonverbal cues, basically lying. Because the police have the ability to lie to you. They can lie to you. They can say they're going to give you a, a lawyer and never even give it to you. You're going to get a lawyer sometime in the next 300 years. We're going to let you sit there, in that cell, sit there in this room for about 300 years until you confess. We ain't going to give you a damn lawyer ever. We can tell you you have the right to have one. You know you have the right to have one. We never going to give it to you. We want you to confess. We're going to do everything we can to just get you to confess to this crime. Because once you confess to the crime, they already have you and they, that's the only thing they need. Because they don't care about finding the right person to commit the crime. They don't care. They want the person that they have to be held liable for it. They don't care. They never look for the right person in the fucking first place. Never do. Police only look for a person that can easily incriminate. They don't never look for the right person who committed the crime. Never do. Period. That's another thing that they don't tell you. Police don't look for act. They don't do investigations. They're not there. Like the, the, the whole ideology that they you get from TV and movies and whatnot and media is that the police go out there and they get investigations going on. They get forensics involved. It's a, you know, very detailed ordeal, right? And they try to find the right person who committed the actual crime. No, 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 
No, no, no, no, no, no, no, no, hell no. That is completely and utterly a lie. No, hell no. Well, let me tell you what really happens. They say, um, what, what are we doing here? Uh, uh, they said that a burglary happened. All right, it's a black man. No, no, they said it was a, a, a seven foot tall white man with a buzz cut. Uh, like white man with a buzz cut. Uh, uh, all right, let's find a short, stocky black guy we can blame this on. Let's go grab that black guy right there. Right? Let's grab that black guy right there. He, he looked like he's criminal enough. He's black anyway. Grab him, blame him for it, and then we can try to figure out a way to beat a confession out of him. Maybe actually beat a confession out of you or try to, like they did in the real technique. This is completely a lie, right? They, they don't care. You know, you got the black guy here. We spent about an hour looking for somebody who looked like a decent suspect. I mean, most of the time, there wasn't even a person in the vicinity. And so they found the first nearest black guy they, they can grab. All right, suspect they told was seven foot tall, white buzz cut. They grabbed him a five foot tall, black guy, you know, was bald headed. You know, oh, good enough. <laughs> good enough. Now let's take him, to the, take him down the precinct and we're going to beat a confession out of him. That's how they do their thing. That's how they get the confessions out. That's how most of the time everything happens. They're not doing any of this, you know, real detailed type of stuff. Ain't, ain't doing that. They ain't detailed. Fortunately, it doesn't involve actually listening to what the suspect has to say. So I'm not even going to ask you if you did it. What I'm, what, what I have to ask you think is what kind of guy you are. Whether, whether this is you're like a serial burglar and this is what you're doing all the time, or whether this is a, a one-off thing because of the power cut and everything that's going on tonight. Once again, the detective is applying Reed's method as he tries to paint Michael as a habitual criminal. The off of course he's a habitual criminal. You've been a criminal since the day you breath and you took the first breath of air. Because your skin tone says that you're a criminal. Because you are a criminal because you're black. Because being black is a crime itself. Which crime? We find out once we arrest you. Basur is suggesting multiple burglaries, hoping that this would force the suspect into admitting a lesser charge and make the detective's job easier. Um, okay, I understand your position. Like I yeah, said, yeah, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, and you've heard that many times that you're in your career, but... It's just... You know, ask me questions, that's all I can do is answer them, I guess. I've got questions to ask you. I mean, why did okay. you do it? That's basically, yeah, that's, that's my only question. If we're not positioned, then I'm, since I'm saying I didn't do it, I really don't have an answer for you except to say I didn't do it. I guess we haven't really got a, we're like, a, a great amount of yeah, about. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, the whether you did it or not is an outlaw for discussion. Okay, well. Um, it, it's really not. There's a number, a number of witnesses. Great. One equipment, a video camera. Perfect. Told you. Told you. They lie wholeheartedly. That's why you gotta know that you know that you know that you know that you know you didn't do anything illegal, right? And as black people, we had to do this every day. We had to make sure that we were 100% on camera all the time and that we can be, that our whereabouts can be accounted for by a bunch of people. That's why right now, as you hear me, I'm doing this podcast, I'm doing it in my living room and I got neighbors up the top of me. 
right? So once, because it's guaranteed to happen, once police arrest me for a, a, a crime I didn't commit, I can you say, well, let me go ask my neighbors. Oh, yeah. Oh, that time period, you heard me yelling down there on my, on my phone on the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What time was that? Time was that? Oh, oh, yeah. So, so, officer, how can I commit the crime at that time period? And it's a whole hour away, and I was doing it here, and they, and they was here. Unless I'm dragging them with me, that's not going to be the work, right? Not going to be the work, right? That's not going to be the work. I can't drag a building with me to commit a crime. You know, unless you said I got some, you know, X-Men-like superpowers, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. <laughs> right? So you're lying. You're lying. Try to come up with something else. <laughs> you want to leave the Ruben salt over? Or you going to let me go home? Because <laughs> you're obviously lying. You got to be able to do stuff like that. Despite being a little mystified, Michael is staying composed under pressure. He now knows that the detective is not willing to listen. He makes one last ditch effort to plead his innocence. Okay, good. Well, that's yeah. relieving. That's relieving. To be quite honest. Yeah. So view the video camera. I have. Okay. That's why your guilt is an initiative. That doesn't even make sense to me. Because if I'm on the video camera, Where am I at? That actually makes sense. Is that where am I at? Committing the crime. What time period was it? <laughs> what time period was it? You see, you gotta get him on that. Like, over oh, time period was it? Oh, you said that. That's kind of funny because I was on camera, right? Not the camera you're talking about because <laughs> that's a lie. You have a video camera that shows me? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. It makes perfect sense to me. It would seem like Detective Leak had convinced himself of the suspect's guilt before this interview even started. Exactly. Because that what police do. That's like I told you. This whole idea that these police officers are going out there getting forensic teams and having an investigation and all these individuals who are highly intelligent and whatnot, and that they're coordinating with people, and they got a team of people they're coordinating with, and, and they have a bunch of evidence, and they got a bunch of things going on. No, a lot of times they look for the nearest black guy to blame things on. Hence the reason why 1350 exists, because it's kind of easy. No joke, it is. It's kind of easy. If you're a police officer, you know the type of people who are not going to be able to have the type of legal counsel that really matters the high-quality legal counsel that matters. You know, they're not going to be... They're going to be willing to get legal counsel. And the ones that have probably done some, some small, petty crime, right? Most of the individuals are black. So we're going to pin all the crimes on black people. And so we can't pin the crimes on black people. And as we can't pin the crimes on black people, we're going to pin the crimes on the black people. Right? You're very seldomly going to see police go after white people for crimes that have been committed. Even when the white person is the subject of the of the crime, right? They're the, they're the, they're the suspect. Right? 
He does not want to listen to the story and just wants a confession. I guess I have no choice but to be a lawyer then. This is the kind of thing you're going to go through with. If you know, this isn't going to go away, you're, you're charged with breaking in, you will be charged in that. Okay, we'll be going to court in the morning. Uh, charged with breaking in with intent. By the- Look at how he's trying to make things happen. First of all, Moses, that's not true. He didn't even go straight to court in the morning in the first place. Even when he was found, the, even the officer knew he was completely and utterly innocent. I told you, this guy spent three days in jail. So in the morning, he didn't even go to court. He lied. He's completely and utterly, blatantly, habitually lied. At this point, Michael's patience is running thin, and he finally calls out the detective over his lies since he clearly is innocent. Can I ask you something? Okay, are you just making this up that you have a video camera so you see how I react? Because it goes that if you say, okay, but come here for a second. If I am guilty, as you believe, because you had me on video camera, then okay, we'll go through the procedure. But I'm saying, I can't, I, you know, trying to call your puff here because since I know I didn't do it, there's no way I can be on the video camera. I d- Look at that. I told you, black people had to be a hundred steps ahead. He already knows the officer is a hundred percent lying. Now he has to go through and destroy this officer's lie. This is what we have to go through as black people. So when white people don't understand why black people are like, no, we need police reform, not every black person is going to have this ability to do this. They're going to be in the area of a crime. They may not even did it. An area of a crime could be like 10 miles And a crime can be just about anything. And police will charge you for smallest infractions that you don't even believe and know exist. Jaywalking. Littering. Some curfews that you didn't even know still is in in effect. They don't even pay attention to They will charge you with that and then tell you you're going to be spending the rest of your life behind bars. They try to get you to confess to a crime you know you phone up didn't commit. Ideally, the interrogator should know by now that they may have the wrong person in custody. At the very least, he could listen to the suspect's story. But this was not the case, and the detective tried more of the same lies to pin the burglary on Michael. The circumstances are that uh, three people live across the street, so we did, in the doorway there, pulling the glass out, breaking the glass. When the police officers, the uniform officers who arrested you, pulled up across the street from you, they saw you run off down the alleyway, and then they described the police officer who arrested you. As you now hear. Now the officer is trying to come up with more lies. Now, since he has to come up with more lies because the man is being more steadfast, which black people have to do, regardless if you commit the crime or not, because they will lie and put more on you that you didn't even, that you never committed, and try to paint you as a serial killer or a serial murderer or a serial burglar or a serial criminal, right? <laughs> that you are born a criminal. 
Yes, they do. Missing your son, and that police officer then arrested you around the corner. Unfortunately for him, the more he lies, the more Michael Dixon can see through his facade. Exactly. Since he has him there and he keeps lying, now the guy can say, ha, I got you. I knew you were lying. This is what we as black people have to go through on a daily basis. This is the reason why we need police reform. This police officer is completely and utterly lying. And he's not good at it. You have to get lucky to get an officer who's going to lie to you that's not good at lying. And by the way, it's not the fact that the officer is lying to you. Because they're going to lie, 100%. It's the fact that he's not good at lying. It's what you have to be lucky with. So... This police officer recognizes me in green shorts and white t-shirt with a knapsack. The witness, one of the witnesses, saw you running from the store, being chased by the police officer who arrested you. What did this take place like? How long before I was arrested? Like he ran immediately before the seconds. Exactly, seconds. I never ran. I was never at a store. What time period did it happen? That's why we had to start asking them questions and push on them because, like, they lie 100%. Me? That's not telling you. Okay. That's right. After a few more stabs at trying to pin the crime on Michael, the officer finally relents. Seeing the suspect's confident demeanor, the detective is losing confidence in his deceitful methods. He is much less confrontational once he starts to see that he may have been wrong. Do you have a bicycle? No, I'm not, not here in Toronto, I think. Yeah. Where do you live? I'm in here, I'm in Vancouver. How long have you lived there? Uh, I moved in August, you know, August. Right. You see, look at that. Now he, he completely he's trying to find anything that he can now grab to hold on to him and try to okay so do you have a bicycle not here so you can't even use the uh, bicycle the idea so they want to use motor transportation because you have anything faster than your own two legs they can blame speed on it right if you have a bicycle that's more than enough for them to be to say you can get from here into you know what's hell somewhere within five seconds because you have a mode of transportation. It's impossible to move that fast, but hey, they have a reason they have something they can hold on to. But he's like, no, nah, it's not here. It's not here in Hamilton. Oh, dang. So it's not here. He says it's in Delaware. He probably could actually mean here in the United States in Delaware. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? <laughs> In Delaware, yeah, yeah, yeah. So unless you're saying I somehow walked from, you know, Hamilton, Ontario to Delaware, grabbed a bite, and still committed a crime within that same time frame, what you getting at, bruh? 
he has now reverted to asking very basic questions, and Michael's assured responses are enough to make him regret his assumptions. After asking a few questions about Michael's work in Toronto, the detective finally starts to listen to his version of the events. Because he asked the man about his work in Toronto, and he's like, uh-oh, wait. He got witnesses. He got cameras. He can prove his whereabouts. We messed up. You know, that old meme goes, it was at this moment he knew he fucked up. Can you describe to me or just tell me what, uh, what you're doing tonight before you were arrested? Well, I'm just simply, um, I was at work, I got the problem during the bus to Hamilton, to Portland Station, walked on the bus. Oh, so he heard, oh, I caught the 1230 bus. Uh-oh, that he got time period. And buses have cameras and people on it. And people on there, they can vouch for them. Uh-oh. On the inside of the station there where the, the docks are, down the stairs, up uh, John Street and crossed. John Street. There was an EMS vehicle there that helps the witness from the beginning with. Um, He's even the situation. John Street, walked maybe three paces, five paces, whatever, and then crossed on, across Hunter to North side of Hudson. Did, did, did you run at any point? No, no. I mean, there were any cars, like, for some reason, for you to go quickly across the street. This man never even broke pace <laughs> because there were no cars there. He had no reason to run. Just a white officer. Oh, well, I, I can see figures when it's dark, right? And and I can sense like that person's coming towards me and I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And then the flashlight came up and I thought this, I think there's more than one voice. I thought, something's up here. And then they didn't identify themselves as police officers, but I they were in uniform in the darkness. And so then behind the flashlights. So my point is I cannot tell who's behind the flashlight. And then I can, but I can see a weapon. And uh, no, it's kind of like, there's some get down ground, kind of like, well, okay, like, cooperate, then I'm thinking, I don't know the police officers, and I said, that's such, like, who are you, you know, you plug your police, and like, but what do you think? That was a response, and, yeah, yeah you're right. I got on the ground, looks at those things, we around it. His explanation includes a detailed diagram on a whiteboard, giving further credibility to his claims. Detailed, he even writing on the daggone boy. They try hard. Breaking it. However, I do have a duty to make sure that the truth is the truth. Basically, the truth is paramount, and the truth, the truth is paramount. I have a duty um, to investigate all of this, and I will investigate it. I assure you, I'll investigate this story thoroughly. Uh-huh, 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 you came in, you came in guns blazing, and now we found out Superman, something wrong. Michael is confidently expressing his disappointment over the course of the night's events. After being soundly defeated in his effort to get a false confession from an innocent citizen, the interrogator finally leaves the room. However, 
Before he lets Michael go, he has something else up his sleeve. One thing has come to light. When you were arrested, you had uh, an object in your hand, a ratchet. Can you tell me about that? It was in my pocket, and quite honest, I was thinking I should have something in my head. The price was fucking off, which doesn't sound very nice, but that's. And tells Michael what happens next. Do you have anything you'd like to ask me about this? Yeah. Um, What's, okay, first of all, what's the next thing? Where am I going from the seat? From here, you'll go, basically, you'll go to, it's three, ten after three in the morning now. Yeah, in the morning, first thing in the morning, you'll go to court. So okay. the court building's open. And uh, I won't be asking for custody for you. I'll be asking for a conditional release. Basically, you are, I'm asking that you'll be released on a form of bail. Okay. Um, with the charges pending. The charge being and on. look at that. Oh, how miraculous that they still get bail. Hmm. Have you wondered why we try to get rid of the financial bail? The money aspect of bail. Because the richer you are, the more likely you are to pay bail. Look at what happened with Donald Trump and a bunch of his goons. The richer you are, the more likely you are to pay pay bail. The, The... less rich you are, the more likely you are to be behind bars and spend some time in jail. Which they can be put on your record that you spend time in jail and fuck your life over as if you committed the crime anyway, knowing full well you didn't. Okay. Despite proving the police wrong in a few minutes, Michael spent the next three nights in a jail cell. It took him another nine months to clear up his name completely, and he stayed under a curfew during that time. Told you. Nine months. He spent three nights in jail. He was completely and utterly innocent. And nine months to completely free up his name. And I know what you guys say. Okay, Trey. Well, normally that comes with some type of, you know, benefit, right? That's that, you know. He, he was completely innocent. He proved he's innocent. So, what happened? So, how many millions of dollars do you expect this person to get? Did he get millions of dollars? I tell you, he didn't. There was an obvious uproar regarding racism in the police department, and Michael sued the county police for the damages. The court awarded him $80,000 and reprimanded the officers for their unprofessional conduct. $80,000, but don't forget he had to get a lawyer, so he didn't get all that money. The bulk of that money more likely went to the lawyer. So he probably got like 10, 20, maybe 30 grand at best. For nine months, you basically went to work. Literally. And hopefully still, but I ain't gonna say still, I can guarantee he didn't have his job. So he more likely lost his job because he had spent three nights in jail, which caused him to lose his job. And now what happens? Authenticity of the Reed technique also came under scrutiny, but it still remains a popular interrogation method because of its success in cases where the police actually do catch the right person. The Reed technique. Lying. Lying. 
So like I said, I wanted to let you guys see and hear that. Because I wanted to be able to prove to you guys, you know, hey, here you go. A great example of police arresting a person for a crime they didn't commit. And so you see now that they're willing to do this and have the ability to do this. They even have a technique with the name on you. Proving that they do this. And it's still legal. And it's still being used. No matter how many innocent people they put behind bars, no matter how many innocent people they try to put behind bars, they still use it. This is the reason why we need police reform. Yes, you can say, Trey, it's not in America. But the same techniques and ideology and things like that is still being used in America and around the world. It doesn't matter. This is wrong. And we shouldn't be allowing police to basically lie to people to get a confession out of them. If you didn't, if you don't have any evidence on them, and you're trying to get a confession on somebody, you, they, you have no choice. You can't, you need to let them go. You don't have the evidence. You don't have the evidence. I know you may know that the person is, is guilty, but you best to come correct. Right? You gotta come correct. If you know the person is guilty, then you shouldn't be able, shouldn't be difficult for you to just be able to get the evidence and say, hey, yeah, we got evidence, we got this, we got that. We know you are, you know, guilty. Bro, we know. And we have all the evidence to do so. Anyway, this is going to be where um, I end the podcast. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and of course, check the podcast. Give me a five-star rating. My podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The link to my support is available there as well. As little as a dollar a month is definitely beneficial. Later, guys. Okay, everyone. Welcome back. So, I, I know I touched on this before. But I just love this video so much. And it's still prevalent. Like every year it's prevalent. I'm still going to touch on it. Because it deals with white supremacy. And as you will see, it's definitely more prevalent as it is today. I do this every you know, election time, during election time anyway, just to show you the other side. How conservatives feel about things. How Republicans feel about things. Get you deeper into understanding conservatism and white supremacy. This is a TED Talk from Sonny... Gienzo, whatever that is, but 
I love using this video so much because it comes from one of those MAGA Republicans. Let's be real. He was a MAGA Republican. And he literally tells you how things are. And I use this as, you know, research all the time. Because this is literally what's happening. I can perfectly, I can put this together. Like, I'm going to literally try to. Because, to prove the point. Because this video is over a year old. I'm going to use another video from, I'm going to try to use another video that connects to this. Right? From Jesse Dollimore. Showing you that, no, this is real. That these people support their own destruction. But let's get into the video. All right, starting. When Donald Trump became president, America witnessed a rise in white nationalism in hate crimes and in divisive conspiracy theories. But a lot of people thought that was a new phenomenon, that it was somehow reactionary behavior to Donald Trump's rhetoric and ideology. The fact is that isn't true. The fact is, it's quite the opposite. You see, Donald Trump was put into office by white nationalism, by divisive conspiracy theories, and by a long history of white supremacy in this country. Conspiracies of war against white America. Conspiracies of the government attacking white Christian America. These conspiracies have existed in white communities across America for decades. Donald Trump simply provided legitimacy to these conspiracies by using key and designated language in his campaign that caused white America to circle in a sharp frenzy and cast their votes. Yup. By the way, he's showing the picture of uh, Donald Trump on the PowerPoint behind him. And some of the words he used, like telling the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. You know, calling Latinos bad hombres and saying there's good people on both sides during the Salisville riot where a woman was murdered, straight up murdered by white supremacists and Donald Trump supported that woman's murder calling African countries shitholes and of course his chant of build a wall meaning the southern border because they never talk about the northern border we don't have a border but on one side and that's the southern border there's nothing else to the north because they can walk back and forth as they please because they're mostly white now, how do I know this? How can I say this so confidently? Because I come from a white little town in North Carolina where I learned white supremacy. Racism is so casual where I'm from, it's culture. I'll say it again. Racism is so casual, it's culture. And that... Yep. Exactly. And that's the thing that we have to understand. A lot of these... Racist people, they live 
with racism so much that it's culture. Calling black people Negroes, monkeys, and everything else like that. Seeing black people as nothing more than criminals. Your, you know, Nick Puentes types. They grew up around the culture of white supremacy and bigotry. Culture breeds the next generation of white supremacists, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about that cycle of white supremacy that has yet to be broken. I want to talk about the silent complicity of white America whenever white supremacy is challenged. I want to talk about the ignorance of white America as it pertains to identifying and stopping white supremacy. Because you see, white supremacy is the single most dangerous thing in America to anybody who doesn't look like me. Amen. But every time white supremacy rears its ugly head, we treat it like it's a new dog doing new tricks. No, it's the same dog, same tricks. And I'm here to tell you that if we don't change how we treat the dog, it's going to keep doing the same trick. It's going to keep biting. Yep. I was raised in the mountains of western North Carolina in a white little neck of the woods, often referred to as a holler. I grew up with a Confederate flag in my front yard, and my neighbor had one in his, and this neighbor in his, and the guy down the road, and everywhere. That flag was a sign of our heritage. You hear that? My heritage. That's what I was told. What heritage might you ask? A heritage of simple, hard-working Christian folk. Patriots who love their country and their neighbor. As long as your neighbor looks like you. Because I'm here to tell you, I didn't have any black neighbors. Did you hear that? Christian folk. Patriots who love their country and their neighbor. As long as your neighbor looks like you. Because I'm here to tell you, I didn't have any black neighbors. In fact, you had to go about 20, 30 minutes down the road before you got to the black neighborhood. Or where I'm from, they refer to as the bad part of town. Did you hear that? Just to put that in perspective, here in Baltimore, you can be a 30-minute drive would be from Pikesville and Park Heights, that area, to Towson. That's a long drive. That means your whole, like, you can literally, and I've seen some people, literally live your whole life within that, that span of area and not even know about the areas around you that's beyond that. Because you can go five, ten minutes up the street to a, you know, grocery store, movies, and everything. You can mean your whole neighborhood right there. You can stay your whole ass right there, grow old, die, and be buried within that same span of time, in that same distance, basically. You see, racism, where I'm from, is so casual, it's hidden. Hidden in plain sight. I didn't know it existed. The N-word was daily vocabulary. I didn't even know that was a bad word. Growing up, I learned that people who sag their pants are thugs. 
Growing up, I learned if you live in government-assisted housing, it's because you're too lazy to get a job and work hard like us. Growing up, I learned that these people get food stamps and sell drugs. You see, one day my dad was going on a rant about just that when a guy knocked at my door. So I went and let him in. The guy went and sat with my dad, handed my dad some money. My dad weighed out the right amount of marijuana and gave it back to him, you know, a drug deal. And then my dad took the money from that drug deal and he put it in his wallet right next to some red, yellow, blue, green food coupons. You may have heard of them. They're called food stamps. Listen to that again. Take it back a bit. I didn't have any black neighbors. In fact, you had to go about 20, 30 minutes down the road before you got to the black neighborhood, or where I'm from, they refer to as the bad part of town. You see, racism, where I'm from, is so casual, it's hidden. Hidden in plain sight. I didn't know it existed. The N-word was daily vocabulary. I didn't even know that was a bad word. Growing up, I learned that people who sag their pants are thugs. Growing up, I learned if you live in government-assisted housing, it's because you're too lazy to get a job and work hard like us. Growing up, I learned that these people get food stamps and sell drugs. You see, one day my dad was going on a rant about just that when a guy knocked at my door. So I went and let him in. The guy went and sat with my dad, handed my dad some money. My dad weighed out the right amount of marijuana and gave it back to him, you know, a drug deal. And then my dad took the money from that drug deal and he put it in his wallet, right next to some red, yellow, blue, green food coupons. You may have heard of them, they're called food stamps. Did my dad see the hypocrisy of us having food stamps and selling drugs when he's telling me about these people getting food stamps and selling drugs? No, because my dad would explain it like this, son, I work hard and I pay taxes, so I deserve these food stamps. And I don't make enough money and I want to provide for your children, so I got to sell these drugs to make ends meet. Again. 20, 30 minutes down the road before you got to the black neighborhood, or where I'm from, they refer to as the bad part of town. You see, racism, where I'm from, is so casual, it's hidden, hidden in plain sight. I didn't know it existed. The N-word was daily vocabulary. I didn't even know that was a bad word. Growing up, I learned that people who sag their pants are thugs. Growing up, I learned if you live in government-assisted housing, it's because you're too lazy to get a job and work hard like us. Growing up, I learned that these people get food stamps and sell drugs. You see, one day my dad was going on a rant about just that. When a guy knocked at my door, so I went and let him in. The guy went and sat with my dad, handed my dad some money. My dad weighed out the right amount of marijuana and gave it back to him, you know, a drug deal. And then my dad took the money from that drug deal and he put it in his wallet, right next to some red, yellow, blue, green food coupons. You may have heard of them, they're called food stamps. Did my dad see the hypocrisy of us having food stamps and selling drugs when he's telling me about these people getting food stamps and selling drugs? No, because my dad would explain it like this. Son, I work hard and I pay taxes, so I deserve these food stamps. And I don't make enough money and I want to provide for your children, so I got to sell these drugs to make ends meet. So, 
you hear that? I know we don't like to interrupt it, but don't worry, we're going to come back to it, of course, as usual. You know, I do mean it. As usual, I do, you know. But, as you heard, as you heard this man literally talk about it, He brought up, you know, he brought up the fact that he lived in his neighborhood where he didn't know any better and that his dad would routinely talk about you know, the black people who lived in the bad part of the neighborhood was like 30 minutes away. Now you got to see the damn neighborhood, right? Most of the time, you're not even going to see it because you're going to literally be in your bubble, right? Because the red line that was drawn literally cuts it off that you have to go 30 minutes out of your way to actually be a... Do, deal with that neighborhood. Which means that you had to actually go out there and willfully do it. Right? You're not going 30 minutes out of your way and driving by mistake. Right? But like I said, I have another video. I don't worry, I don't get back to it. But, like I said, that was a year ago. This was posted by Jesse Dollamore yesterday. You're going to hear something. That you'll say, if you pay attention, you're like, wait, 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 wait. That sounds too familiar. Because that's what I did. That's the reason why I wanted to put that video back up. And let you listen to it again. So let's go ahead and let's listen. Dollamore Daily. One of the things that is most perplexing to me with the advent and the, the, with Donald Trump coming on the scene as a politician and really uh, calibrating the Republican Party into a mask off racist organization and a, uh, just a looking the other way at criminality. I mean, really, it's a cult. 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 But one of the most striking things to me is that it it uh, initiated on the scene a class of individual who before wasn't really involved in politics, didn't really know about politics, didn't vote, didn't really care. We witnessed this with the insurrection. I think CNN was who did it. They did like a, a cross section of the, the arrests that were made and like a massive percentage of these people who participated in the insurrection against the United States didn't even vote. Like, they're just there for the drama of it. It aligns to this, adjacent to this, it's not a direct correlation, but it, 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 connected to this is this class of individual. And I don't mean classes in their socioeconomic status. I mean just this, there's this, this, this trope, this stereotype of a person who would be their life would be materially changed, materially better if they were to support Democrats and Democrat policies. This is what I say all the time. 
you know, when people ask, you know, first of all, I just want to stop it there to say that. Because when people ask about why don't you change your, you know, view on voting for Democrats. And I always say to people, black people have to continually vote for Democrats regardless if their situation gets better because they vote for Republicans, their situation will get materially worse. Which is something that Republicans don't have to worry about. Like, it's literally physically impossible. Literally, like, seriously, it's impossible for Republicans to vote for a Democrat and their lives get worse. I mean, it really is. That's why I was like, I said, I like to be able to debate people on this. Like, no, if Republicans, if you have, if you in an area that's mostly red, let's say uh, Texas, right? A Florida. And you decide to say, you know what? One good time for the, just for maybe the two or six years, however, how long it might take for, you know, for those seats. We're just going to vote in a a Democrat. Watch how your life gets materially better. You will get, you know, more, you know, support financially. A lot of things that you rely on. Social security, you know, your food stamps, your, you know, VA benefits and things like that, all will get materially better. You may get more of it. It may cover more things. You know, you may have it for longer. Maybe it access it earlier. Right? All that stuff will get better. While on the other hand, if you are in a mostly Democratic area and you vote for a Republican, your life will get literally worse, if not actually end. Because some people will 100% die just because you voted in a Republican. Like, seriously, you would die because of that situation. If you're on Medicare, Social Security, and, you know, any social safety net, they will literally eliminate it because Republicans want to completely and utterly Eliminate every single solitary social safety net. But here's the kicker. Before I go any further, here's the kicker. Yes, they want to get rid of it. But do they want to get rid of your payments into that system? No. You will pay into the system for all those things. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, veteran benefits and all that stuff while literally not getting a penny nickel or dime of that money whatsoever because why they would use that money to cover other things that they want to play around with right think about it they get you flipped out if you talk about reparations would say how are you going to pay for it right the same way you pay for that um that that uh, you know what rocket to go into our space with Elon Musk? The same one. Wherever they did, wherever they got their money from, 
for Elon Musk to go into outer space. Elon Musk, you know, and Jeff Bezos to go into outer space and fly around in outer space and drink uh, alcohol and shit and party for a few moments in outer space while we sat down and marveled at them celebrating their, their massive wealth. The same way that they got that money, that's how you're going to pay for reparations. Literally, same thing. Instead of getting that money that we gave to them, that $165 million we gave to Elon Musk himself, that's going to go for reparations. The same money we give in loopholes and tax benefits for Elon Musk and you know Jeff Bezos to two trillionaires, that's how we're going to pay for it. So yeah, that's how you pay for it. If you wasn't mad about that, then shut the hell up. But anyway, let me continue. But they support Donald Trump and they think in their head that they're, they're sticking up for themselves, that they're advocating for themselves by supporting Donald Trump. I'm rambling here, but let me show you these two clips. I actually have three clips. One is just kind of a, puts a nice neat bow on what I'm talking about here. But right side broadcasting, the, the main anchor is like Marjorie Taylor Greene's new boyfriend. And I think it's him doing the questioning. Maybe not. I'm not really super familiar with his stupid face. So um, he's interviewing people before uh, the Iowa rally. And he talks to this first old man who's bemoaning his situation that he, he a deer totaled his car. I think he means he ran into a deer with his truck and it totaled it. So that's a bummer. But, you know, he's got his, his VA benefits and he's, uh, he's got his medical expenses and they're being paid by the government. So he's, he's going to be okay. And it really should be some kind of a wake-up call for these people that the services that he's utilizing to make his life easier would be gone if we left it to Republicans. But the point is, he doesn't see it as Republicans taking it away. He believes that since I am me, I am different. My stuff will be left alone and they defend me because he doesn't have the education. I'm going to let the video get into it, but he doesn't have the education to understand, no, they're not here for you. They may be saying they're doing this for your best interest, but as soon as that stuff is gone, you realize, wait, yeah, it's, it's not working. You see, the Democrats, like for VA benefits and stuff like that, they, the reason why they hadn't removed them is because they know that Democrats are still in office and they don't have complete control over the government enough yet where they have these modern morons in all these seats, right? They don't have the presidency, they don't have the, the Senate, they don't have the House, right? Repub- I'll tell you what, let's play the clip and we'll talk about why it is just nuts that he believes what he believes. I just had to purchase a new car because I a deer totaled my other one. And it just... Everything, the cost of everything is way too high. And insurance, medical insurance as well. Medicaid. Well, fortunately, I'm on Medicare, so that helps out a lot right there. And I'm a veteran, so I've got, I've got my VA benefits. So. 
the cost of everything is so high. Yet, he's there to support the candidacy of Donald Trump and other Republican candidates. Time and time and time and time and time. You see what I'm talking about? Remember with uh, uh, the TED Talk? How the man and his dad would talk about the people in the bad part of the neighborhood while doing, you know, doing drugs, you know, drug deals, and, you know, being on food stands and how they're lazy, right? Time and time and time and time again, when Republicans have the, 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 when they're at the helm and they have the ability to pass legislation that will assist groups like this gentleman is in. He's an, he's an old man. He's a veteran. Republicans want to take away from those benefits. They want to reduce those benefits. They want to make his life materially harder, whether it be passing the PACT Act or a number of different policies. Republicans oppose those things. They oppose them. But he doesn't see it as that. He believes that is a evil cabal because those same Republicans will name a nameless, faceless entity that's taking away your rights when it's literally them themselves outwardly doing it and saying that they're doing it, but then they'll just tell you when they come into your face, oh, no, it's not me doing this. It's the Matrix doing this. Oh, it's not me doing this. It's the, you know, evil cabal of transgender, you know, teachers doing this. Oh, it's not me doing this. It's, you know, it's George Soros and the Jewish people doing this. Yes, my name is on the actual, you know, on legislation. And I went out there and campaigned and went out there on the floor of the house and said, yes, I'm taking away your benefits. And I don't care about you, but yeah, that wasn't me. Don't don't believe your eyes. Believe me telling you that it wasn't me, so I can just keep keep you know, keep getting your vote. The same Republicans who vote against the infrastructure bill and then go back to their districts and tweet and and talk about the benefits that the the district is now experiencing, even though they voted against the thing that they're now acting like they had a part in. Exactly. See. Mm -hmm. They will literally go out there, vote against the thing. But the thing is, you, you again, I, I do blame the Democrats in this and that point is, when you get power, not only do you have to use that power and wield it, you have to put things in practice that it will force once the, because it will happen, once the Republicans get in, they have to take accountability, right? No more doing this backdoor, closeted, secret, you know, voting on things. No. You're going to go out there. You're going to vote against it. You're going to have to come out here on the stand and vote against it and say why not. And then, just like I say, we're going to find out when you're on those TV shows like Fox News are going to buy ad space. So when you come on there and they say, well, you know, Martha Green's going to be on Fox News, you know, oh, around 8 o'clock. All right, then when she get on there, we're going to put the ad right directly before it or after it. 
So you will hear her talk, and then you see her literally saying the opposite. Right? They had them filibuster the reason why they voted against the bill. Every person had to tell why they're voting for or against the bill. It had to be recorded right in front of people's faces. And this guy's fooled by it. This old man is fooled by it. Because if the Republicans had their way, Medicare would be slashed. Maybe eliminated. That's not hyperbole, that's fact. Matt Gates has talked about, I mean, members of Congress have talked like this. They talk about, with their, their patriot flags waving high in the air about supporting veterans and supporting the troops and loving the troops. But then when it comes time to fund programs, Republicans are opposed. Mm-hmm. Yet, old man Joe here, he's there for it. He's there for Trump. He's there for Republican policies while touting that his life is okay. There's a safety net there for him because he's got his Medicare and he's got his VA benefits. Because you don't see no thanks to Trump, no thanks to Republicans. Not just him. It's not an isolated incident. These people exist by the thousands or the millions yep. out there. Same interviewer, same stage, talking to a woman who again talked about she's on disability. She's got her Medicaid, they turned her Medicaid off and she's in a tight spot, but she's there to see if Donald Trump will help her. her. But what is Trump, under his policies, how did it benefit your life? Are you work? Are you retired? I mean... No, I'm disabled. I have a broken plate in my back. And uh, it really bummed me because during COVID, I was supposed to get my third surgery and have it fixed. And when the doctor, a very big specialist, went to fix it, he said, where's your Medicaid? I said, what do you mean, where's my Medicaid? Well, they took my Medicaid. So... I'm coming up here hoping I can get the surgery done. Look at that. What I tell you? Can you not see it when I was talking about? Right? Can you not see what I'm talking about? The different, how these, these people, how they were. Can you see how the connection that I was trying to make with these with him, this guy here, and these people? Because he was one of them. His dad was. He was. You see, he was in that neighborhood with those people who are Trump supporters. Don't see the hypocrisy in being on food stamps, Medicaid. Like this woman is using Medicaid that she would say about people like me, get up, go to work, and stop being lazy. The person that was on the, the VA benefits, car total, had to buy a new one, had the ability to buy a new one. While somebody like me couldn't even have insurance enough to pay to buy one. And still driving around a broken down jalopy. That some odd reason can't keep in my possession. Make enough money, and I want to provide for you children, so I got to sell these drugs to make ends meet. You see the hypocrisy of that. The cognitive dissonance is cringeworthy. 
How could my dad, an otherwise intelligent man, be so ignorant? Easy. It's a toxic cycle of white supremacy and white ideology that has survived the test of time. Exactly. The reason why is because they have this entitlement that they believe that they should be able to have these things, but other people shouldn't. Oh, I'm a Republican. I'm a God-fearing, you know, Christian Republican. I work hard for a living. You just want all these handouts. You just want all these handouts, 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 while being on the same handouts. The only difference is because they're white and I'm black. That's the reason. It's okay for you to have your VA benefits. Because why? You're a veteran. My life online. Yes, I do too. Every day. Every day. If I get into an interaction with a police officer, I want it to go as smoothly as possible. Let the officer do whatever the fuck they want to my vehicle and to me. Just so I don't get killed. Because if I rebuttal one ounce, I may be shot and killed. I had to worry about that. They don't. They get to rebuttal. They get to hop, wave. They get to jump around. They get to hug the officers, take pictures with the officers. Hey, let me go to up the street and go to the, you know, go to the gas station and go grab me a uh, drink real quick. I come right on back. If I move an inch in the wrong direction, that gives the officer the right to murder me in cold blood. They don't see the call of the dissonance there. Welcome to your NFL headlines of the day. According to Reuters, here mm-hmm. are five NFL headlines. Saints quarterback Derek Carr injured mm-hmm. shoulder versus Packers. Okay. R&B star Usher to headline 2024 Super Bowl halftime show. Jets rule left tackle Dwayne Brown up versus Patriots. Place him on IR. Jordan Love engineers comeback. Packers top Saints 18 to 17. Mm-hmm. Colts up and Ravens on Matt Gay's 53-yard field goal in Ott. Yep. Thank you. You see, during slavery, only rich white people could afford to enslave other people. But to prevent the poor white people from empathizing with the plight of enslaved black people. What the rich white people did was this. They told the poor white people, hey, if you work hard, you can be like us. And what they did was they gave them management positions on the plantation, called them overseers. That way they were more important than the enslaved black people. The idea was simple. You might be poor, but hey, at least you ain't black. Uh Uh-huh. That ideology, that Mindset has survived the test of time. Fast forward to my dad sitting in the living room ranting about these people with food stamps and drugs while selling drugs and using food stamps. I can hear it. We might be poor, but at least we ain't black. This is a cycle. Exactly. I keep telling people that. I keep saying that all the time, though. Yo, they may be poor, but they ain't black. They ain't black. They ain't black. 
that's that 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 reigns so prevalent. You may be poor, but at least you ain't black. At least you ain't black. Because if you're poor and black, it's worse than being poor and white. It really is. Because if you're poor and white, they may be helping you. People may take pity on you. You may go to court and the judge find leniency on you. And see their tears and feel empathy for you. If you're poor, you're black, they ain't gonna give a fuck about you. They don't believe that you caused it on yourself and deserve every bit of your strife. Because you're black. And understanding that cycle, understanding that context, understanding this history is the key to dismantling white supremacy. Breaking that cycle is the key to defeating racism. Because I want you to understand, and this is very important, that although white America's busy spinning conspiracies of white America being targeted, there's no tangible, quantifiable evidence to justify their case. Exactly. There's no tangible, quantifiable evidence. That's what I always go to. That's why I say things like that to Charlie Kirk, to to Ben Shapiro, to Tucker Carlson. There's no tangible, quantifiable evidence towards anything you say about the white replacement. It's only circumstantial evidence of, oh, hey, it might be. That's a lie. But boy, that's clear evidence on the contrary. But ironically, the same people that believe that will refute systemic oppression against the black community when there's tangible, quantifiable evidence to prove it. The United States Department of Justice statistics show a black man's three times more likely to be killed by the police than a white. Exactly. But see, this is what I talk about my um because uh, I was what I was talking about previously. Why I always try to say I'm going to try to let the officer do whatever they want as long as it doesn't kill me. Because a black man three times more likely to be killed than a white man by police. Tangible, quantifiable evidence. White man. The United States Sentencing Commission has proven that a black offender will receive a 19% longer sentence on average than a white offender, same crime, same criminal background. Look at that. Same crime, same criminal background. If you take a white man who is literally at the exact same time, exact same moment, in the exact same universe, committing the exact same crime as the black man is doing, they will get a lesser sentence than the black man just because the black man is black. Same crime. Same offense. Same background. Who's going to get sentenced? It's not going to be equal. White man going to get off scot-free a little bit. Slap on the wrist sometimes. Black guy, life in prison. A black mother is three times, four times more likely to die during childbirth than a white mother. Yup. 22% of black Americans live in poverty, only 9% of white Americans live in poverty. Exactly. So, what about poor white people? There ain't many. That 22% of Black Americans live in poverty. 
only 9% of whites do. So it's not as if they know the plight of being black. That's why he may be poor, but he's trained black. If you're a black American in this country, you're 2.5 times more likely to live in an environmental justice neighborhood. That means you're next to a power plant, next to a waste dump, next to a structure that poses a significant health risk, regardless of your income. Hear that again. Times more likely to live in an environment. 22% of black Americans live in poverty. Only 9% of white Americans live in poverty. If you're a black American in this country, you're 2.5 times more likely to live in an environmental justice neighborhood. That means you're next to a power plant, next to a waste dump, next to a structure that poses a significant health risk. So if you're black, you're two and a half times more likely to live next to live in an area that poses significant health risk to you. Regardless if you're rich, regardless if you're Middle class, regardless if you're poor. Just because you're black. Come on. Wake up. Redlining. Regardless of your income. These are irrefutable facts, tangible evidence that shows black America is disproportionately disadvantaged in this country, yet the vast majority of white America calls that government lies. Exactly. That's the point. Because they always have the ability to just get out of all this situation by saying matrix, sigh up, or like he said, governmental lies. Because they can't fathom the existence of this happening because they live in a small little bubble where the communities that they talk about are 30, 40, 50 hours, 3 hours, 8 hours a whole country away. They can't fathom the reality because they've been told to care about themselves and not the existence and the plight of others. You're bold to see the others as non-humans who deserve every bit of their strife because they cause it on themselves. Refuse to believe it exists, but yet somehow we're the ones being targeted. (laughs) Why? It's easy. Because we have been told by white supremacy that we are the center of the world. If you don't Think like me, that's a you problem. If you don't dress like me, that's a you problem. If you don't act like me, if you don't believe like me, if you don't do your hair like me, that's a you problem. Most importantly, if your experience is not like mine, well, that's a you problem. And that's true, because think about that uh, video with Justin Yalamore, where he had the woman on there, and that same as that Raleigh, you have people who be talking with individuals and saying, well, I didn't experience this. I didn't experience that. Well, I didn't. I, 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 I. You can't fathom it because you can't think about anybody else's experience outside of your own. And since you can't fathom it for yourself, you believe that everyone lived the same type of life that you live. No. No. You can't because you haven't experienced it because that's the point. You have privilege. 
to not experience it. It could not possibly be the system that was built by us, for us. I remember when my son was five years old, he wanted to play baseball. So I signed him up for the local recreational league team. First things first, we got to go buy a baseball glove. You know, so I take him out and at the very first store, I ran into a problem. A problem I didn't foresee coming. I told my son, I said, pick out whatever glove you want, son. I want you to be happy with your equipment. So he picked out a glove. But then it turns out I couldn't buy that one for him because he's left-handed. And then he picked out another glove, another glove, and continually couldn't buy them. He had to settle for his fourth choice because, well, they didn't have any for left-handed players. As a right-handed person, I had never really thought of this. As a right-handed person, I never came across this kind of inconvenience. Now, my son picking out baseball gloves is a far cry from the life and death reality of not being white in America, but... But it's so important to point out that in this America that was made with white supremacy woven in every fabric of every system, these standards of whiteness have been passed down. Yep. It's easy for us as white Americans to not see the pain, the inconvenience, discomfort, and the danger of our non-white fellow Americans that live in the very same country. I remember when I was 10 years old, and I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what does the South will rise again mean? It was on the flag in the front yard. And it was on people's t-shirts and bumper stickers and everywhere I went, South will rise again. Everybody knew something I didn't know, so I wanted to know what was going on. My dad looked at me and said, son, one day it's going to be illegal to be white in this country. It's going to be illegal to be Christian in this country. It's going to be illegal to be straight in this country. And when that happens, straight white Christian men are going to have to stand up and fight for our freedoms like our forefathers did. And my dad believed that. When he told me that when I was 10 years old, I believed him. So you see, when you juxtapose that ideology with the ramblings of Trump cultists and QAnon conspiracists, you start to see this is not a new phenomenon. These ideas, these conspiracies, these standards of whiteness, they've been around for a long time. My dad believed it in his dad. Y'all ain't no joke because the same thing he's talking about is the same thing you hear on Tim Pool. Civil war, 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 civil war. Every time he comes on, there's not a time he's on that he does not mention civil warfare. But the problem is, you ask that man, you want to go and have a civil war so much, why don't you go and be the first person to pick up the gun and start it? Why? Because he doesn't want to put his life on the line, number one. And two, he's never going to be affected by it because he's going to be locked up in his compound with his skateboards. So he claim and talk about all this civil war bullshit because he want others to fight and die for your amusement. While rambling on about a civil war. For him, he told me when I was 10, 30 years ago. It is important that we understand these cycles and what these toxic ideologies are so that we can fight them, so that we can end them. You understand? The way we talk as white Americans, that's the standard. 
Yep. Dialects like African American vernacular English is considered low class and uneducated. Uh -huh. The way we wear our hair, that's the standard. I've never had to change my hairstyle so I'm going to get a job. My hairstyle's never been banned by an employer's manual. Even the way my parents named me is the standard. I don't have to worry about my name on a resume being the reason that my resume is overlooked. All of this is a reality in this country made possible by my white ancestors creating a white system that benefits me. Yep. Now, it is worth noting that we've made great progress in the area of civil rights thanks to countless black liberation movements, countless social liberation movements. But even now in 2022, racism and white supremacy still very much exist. I aim to defeat it before I die. The way I do that, I spent the, last, I spent the majority of the last two decades trying to understand white supremacy, but more important, trying to understand how it continues to thrive in my community. I came to three conclusions that I think are very important. This is the reason that white supremacy stays alive in our country. Number one, it goes unchecked. These, every white person that's listening to this, in this room or in this country has heard a joke behind closed doors or has heard these baseless conspiracy theories that I'm talking about being spread or has heard about how reverse racism is attacking white America. And as a white person, if you do not call that out, if your family, friends, co-workers are doing these things and you say nothing, you are an accessory to murder. Exactly. You see, you got to say these things. It sounds weird. It sounds crazy. Outlandish. To just accuse people of being an accessory to murder. But yes, you really are. That's why you, I, I like this, this this video because he goes out there and he doesn't hold back. You are an accessory to murder. If you are white and you hear stuff that is this crazy racist by other white people, you don't put it in check. You're an accessory to murder because you're allowing for white supremacy, that bigotry, to fester and grow and spread it will lead eventually to somebody being killed. Your silence allows these hateful ideologies, conspiracies, and dangerous rhetoric to continue to fester and be passed down to the next generation of white supremacists. Your silence is quite literally violent. Number two, lack of education. 99% of white America look at dead in the face right now and say, I'm not a racist. 98% I'm quick to define what racism is. Right? Right. Our entire American education system is whitewashed. Yes. Yes. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Our entire educational system is completely and utterly whitewashed. It is. It is. Our history is nothing more than superhero comics. Is a comic book where the white man is the hero. Think about how we talk about the founding fathers and hold them in reverence as if they're deities and gods and, and, and superheroes. They're the Avengers. They're the Justice League. 
We think these guys all came together as some, you know, heroes of justice in a, you know, King Arthur-style table and sat down and hammered out democracy. Not knowing that each one of these guys was fucked up. They had their own problems. Benjamin Franklin was fucking too much. George Washington literally had slave teeth. And all of them damn near had slaves. Thomas Jefferson, if I'm correct, impregnated one of his. And they didn't want to give any reference to the child he had with a slave. In our history books, they're nothing more than romantic fiction novels in which all the heroes are white. It is our civil responsibility, our duty, to combine our collective voices and demand that our education curriculum be revised, revamped, that our history books tell the truth about the rights and wrongs of yesteryear, so that we can have less wrongs and more rights in the years to come. Come, And number three, I saved this for last because it's the most important in my book, equity and inclusion. If we aim to dismantle white supremacy, then white Americans must stop treating equity and inclusion as a personal attack on us. Exactly. Equity and inclusion doesn't matter to you. You're not being bothered. When people say, I don't want my money going to this, it doesn't matter. Your money goes to a lot of things that you take for granted. The streets you drive on, how much of your money goes to that? How much of my money goes to the streets you drive on? Can I take the money from the streets that you were driving on and say that you can't now not drive on the streets? No, it's ludicrous and stupid. You would say, no, it benefits you in the long run as much as it benefits me in the long run, right? Same thing. Reparations. It's going to benefit you in the long run anyway. Why? Because I don't be taxed more. Because I don't get that money back. Which goes back into your pocket. Because don't forget, if you work, you get Social Security. That means more money out of my pocket goes to Social Security. That I'm not going to get. Because I make too much money and too much income. But that tax is going to go back to you. Because it's not going to bump me into a high benefit, a high bracket when I'm with Donald Trump and the rest of them. Of course not. It's going to give me one goddamn bracket over you, which basically means nothing financially. It just means I can't access social safety nets. There's been tons of legislation that's been passed to demand legal equality. 13th Amendment, 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment, Voting Rights Act of 1865, Voting Rights Act of 1965, Brown vs. Board of Education, 1954, uh, Civil Rights Act 1964. We can make a very long list of legislation, but yet without equity and inclusion, the problem still exists today. Mm -hmm. Because you cannot legislate morality. morality. It is incumbent upon us to understand 
these systems and these standards of whiteness that I've referred to today and how they continue to thrive and survive, we must stop the cycle. In this proverbial right-handed world where everybody who's not white is proverbially left-handed, we must understand that the justice system, the policing system, the education system, the medical system, the financial system, the banking system, the prison system, all these systems are being used against our fellow citizens to oppress and marginalize them. We must have radical ground-up change on every system in America, period. White people, admitting that white supremacy exists is not an attack on us. Admitting that our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents created the system to benefit us is not an attack on us. Stop treating it like that. Admit there's a problem and become part of the solution. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I love this video so much. Because it's true. Where was the lie? Where was the lie? Where was the lies? You can't find any. He wasn't lying. And that's the thing. I always challenge people who are on the right. Those Ben Shapiro's, those people like that. Watch it. No, literally watch. And tell me where he's lying. And where the problem is at. Well, this is going to be where I end the podcast. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and of course, share the podcast. Give me a five star rating. My podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The link to my support is available there as well. As little as a dollar a month is definitely beneficial. Later, guys.